<laughs> All right, glad you're glad you're here. Um, there is a great temptation that comes uh, when you start talking about religion and and godliness, and and that great temptation can be just the desire to want to be told the rules. Just tell me what I need to do. Boil it down to the few things that I need to do. Just just tell me where I stand. Give me what I have to do. What's the bare minimum? Uh, and, and even that can be reflected in sometimes how we, we talk, where you might ask a question like, well, do we have to, and then you fill in the blank. Well, that's kind of driving at that, well, what are the rules? Just... Uh, just bypass everything else and just give me the basics, give me the minimum, give me the commands, give me the rules. And I think that's something that is interesting as a people that we have the tendency to do that we want to just boil things down. I want to just simplify it. And, you know, I would I would just as a generic blanket statement make. Here's the simplification <laughs> right here. here. Here's the whole simplification. This is as concise as it gets. Right, right here. That's all of it right, right there for us. But sometimes we want to boil it down. As is brought up, even uh, Brother Roberts talking about, you know, five acts of worship or five steps of salvation. We want to like boil it down to let's make it really concise and really memorable and really obvious. And so sometimes we just will we'll focus on what what the rules are. You might say, well, well, what's the big deal about that? Why is that a problem to just want to know? The rules, just give me the minimums, just give me the basics. And one of the problems that arises from having a concern uh, uh, about the rules is that we miss the reason and miss the purpose behind the rules, behind the command. We get so focused on what the command is, we completely miss what the point of the command was and what God intended behind that. Now, I bring that up because that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with, with the Pharisees and these Jewish leaders in Matthew chapter 12 that was just read for us. Jesus has an encounter with them where they know the rules. They know the law. And what Jesus is going to do in Matthew 12 is show them, but you missed the reason. And because you missed the reason and you missed the purpose, you actually misapplied the law. Altogether, And so notice what you have in chapter 12, and you're told in verse 1 and 2, this problem that arises, it says that Jesus and his disciples, they are passing through the grain fields, and you're told there in verse 1 that the disciples are hungry, and they begin to pick some of the heads of grain and begin to eat them. I want to make sure you understand them plucking grain is not the concern. That is something that was given to them. Under the law of Moses, as stated in Deuteronomy, that was something you could do. You were allowed to go about doing that and eat the extras that after a harvest had been done. That's not what they're concerned about. Their concern is at the end of verse 2, it says, You were doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. That is their concern. You're doing something that under normal circumstances is fine, but under the Sabbath law, you are now violating that law. And one of the things that I wanted to do 
is I, I've, sometimes we'll look at, okay, well, what were their expectations and their rules and their laws and all that? And then what I thought is I would like to get a sense of if that still is, is true today. And so what I did was I went to a website, I believe you'd pronounce it uh, kabah.org, and it is a Jewish website, and I just at, talked, typed in and said, okay, what are the rules for the Sabbath? What is that still the point of view today? So here is one of the paragraphs that were there in describing things that violate the Sabbath today. It says there, let's start with some basic activities from which we are to refrain on Shabbat, which is Sabbath, writing, erasing, tearing, business transactions, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using a telephone, turning on or off anything that uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computers, air conditioners, alarm clocks, cooking, baking or kindling a fire, gardening, grass, mowing, doing laundry. The website further just kind of went to explain you can't carry or move anything unless the moving of the object is necessary for keeping the Sabbath was essentially what the rules were. That's what that website was, was saying. So at least in some dynamic, it's the same idea. Now, the reason I, I, I wanted to look at that is it's the same mentality that's here in Matthew 12. And the question that Jesus is going to, to strike at is, is that the intention of the Sabbath? Is it the intent of the Sabbath that you aren't allowed to move something or write something or cook something? Is, is that the intent of all of that or is it pushing at something else? And you'll notice this is what Jesus has to go about explaining to these Pharisees that that mentality was then, it still is, even to this day. And so what Jesus does is he uses two examples. First example he uses is in verse 3. Have you not read what David did when he and those who were, who were uh, with him were hungry, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for him or for those who were with him to eat, but only the priest. So notice he begins with an important example. That example comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David is on the run from Saul. He has his companions with him. They're out in haste. And as they come to a particular place where we have a priest and they come and they say, we are hungry. And do you have any bread to eat? And the priest says, no, we don't. We don't have any food here except the bread that is used in worship to God. And David and his men are granted by the priest to go ahead and eat that food. And so that's what David and his, his men do. And Jesus observes something and says that under normal circumstances was, would not be lawful. You couldn't just wake up one day and go and say, hey, you know, the bread of the present sounds like something would be tasty. I'd like to have some of that. That would have been condemned and unlawful. But this is a particular circumstance that granted the possibility. And he's using this and saying there was a condition of need, and that's why the priest was right to give it to him. In fact, you'll notice in Matthew's account in verse 5 and in verse 7, he twice underscores that they were guiltless or innocent. And that's really important. Sometimes interpretations are 
they were wrong, but it was okay. And so Jesus is wrong, but it's okay. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying I'm wrong, but that's okay. No. Jesus is saying what David and his men did was right, even though under a typical circumstance that would not have been right. But there is a need here that existed. And so that is the first example. The second example he uses, you'll see there is in verse six, I tell you, or excuse me, verse verse five, or have you not read the law that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? You know, that is one that I've never thought about before until Jesus posed that right there. Sabbath meant you're not supposed to do any work. And Jesus comes along and says, so what do you have to say about the priests who work every Sabbath? (laughs) They're given the direction that they had to work on the Sabbath. They're required to do that. They're supposed to be doing sacrifices and offerings and carrying out the daily functions toward God. And you see that even commanded in Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And the point being, there is a work that can be done on the Sabbath. There is this, this, this point that there were priests who were working on the Sabbath. So trying to drive home that there, even from the very beginning of the law, wasn't the intent that every single ounce of labor was forbidden. He's showing that. Priests were working on the Sabbath. So clearly... There was some work that could be done on the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus is going to do is make three points about what is happening here. In verse 6, he gives his first answer about this explanation. Verse 6, he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. This is an, an important statement. And in fact, I would like for you to carefully observe That Jesus does not say someone greater. That's interesting. Something greater. And that is the Greek underneath it. That is something, not someone. Something greater is here. And notice he's making a reference point to the temple. Now, what is so important about the temple? It's important for us to get a sense and get a, a picture of that. The temple was so important to their lives. The temple is the place of worship. It's the place of atonement. It's the place of forgiveness. It's the place of God's presence. It's the place where God met his people. It was of the utmost importance. It is hard to speak of a location or a building that would have been of any greater importance under the law of Moses than the temple. Uh, that's where God's name is. That's where God's presence is. That's where atonement is. That's where you meet God. That's where you worship God. That's where you have forgiveness. Everything was bound up in that temple. And I think it is fascinating that Jesus then comes along and says something greater than that is here. Well, that's pretty great. To say something's greater than the temple is something really, really special to make that kind of point. The idea here, I think, is, is rather simple, where he makes the observation back in verse 5. The importance of the temple took precedence over the Sabbath, didn't it? The priests are working in the temple. They're keeping sacrifice and offerings and doing job. Their work in the temple was more important than the Sabbath keeping, because that was the place where God dwelled, and that's where those things need to be taken care of. And Jesus comes along and goes, yeah, I'm the greater temple. 
And therefore, me and my work is even greater than the Sabbath. If the temple and its work was greater than the Sabbath and what work was going on, the priests were doing their work. How much more me who is the greater temple and the work that I need to be doing and need to be accomplishing supersedes the Sabbath. That's his first observation. The second one is in verse seven. Verse seven, he says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the innocent. And so this is the second time that Jesus is quoted from Hosea 6 and verse 6. You might remember it from a couple chapters earlier, back in chapter 9 and verse 13. I'm going to quickly refresh you of what we learned, what Jesus meant when he quotes from Hosea 6 about that intent, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It was three things. One, I want people who want me and are not pretending. Remember, Hosea's quote was, your love for me is like this faithless cloud. I need real devoted followers, not pretenders. I desire mercy, not externals and sacrifice, not a bunch of doing. I want devotion. Number two, Jesus then wants that devotion not to fade away, not to just be there for a moment and go. And then number three, he wants people who are ready to show mercy because they care for people like God does. And that was the observation that Jesus was making in chapter nine. Notice how that would play into the, what, the point that's going on here. Are the Pharisees concerned that Jesus' disciples are hungry and need to eat? They don't care about people. They're not loving others as God would want them to. They're only thinking about the Sabbath. And that's why he quotes that here is, don't you know what Hosea was saying when he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? I want you to have a heart like God. I want you to love people like God loves people. I want you to have a true devotion for me so that you would see people through that lens. And clearly the Pharisees were not doing that. And so that's what verse seven does. And he makes one more point, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to think about that sentence for a minute. That's one that's easy to kind of blow by. But I want you to think about that. No mere human can say they're above the law. We might like to think it. I'm above the law. <laughs> I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, you can't say that. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of the law of God and the law of Moses and the Sabbath law. No mere human can come along and say, I am master and Lord of the law that God gave to Moses. I'm master of that. That's a who do you think you are kind of declaration. And you say, I'm Lord of that. The only way you can say that you're master of a law of God is if you're God. That's the only way you can pull that one off. That's the only means why you can say that. You can only say, hey, I am master and Lord of that law unless you gave it. Only if you give that law can you say, I'm in charge of that law. I'm the one who gave that law. And I can then explain to you what it means. 
And that's where these three things are going. Let me sum up these three arguments that he is making for these Pharisees, and then we'll see why this matters in an example and then in the conclusion. Three messages he gives. One, the disciples were right to eat on the Sabbath because the conditions dictated it. They're hungry. They don't have anything to eat. And just as it was right for David and his companions to eat, so it was also right for his disciples to eat. That's the verse six principle. Verse seven principle, if the religious leaders knew the, the scriptures, they would have cared about his disciples. They wouldn't have been mad at them. And going, what are you doing eating? And this obvious answer is we're hungry. That's why we're eating. If you knew the scriptures, if you knew the law, if you knew God, you would have understood that. That's the verse seven principle. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he ends it by saying, and I'm Lord of Sabbath, which means I can give you the correct application of the Sabbath because I'm the one who gave it. (laughs) I'm master of the Sabbath. I know its intent. I know its purpose. I know why it exists. And Jesus is not walking around saying, I'm above the law. I can do whatever I want to do. Don't read Lord of Sabbath that way. Lord of Sabbath means I know why we gave it and I know its purpose and I know how to apply it and I know how to use it because I gave it. That's the idea of being Lord of Sabbath. That'd be like a parent saying, listen, I know the intent of my law. I know the intent of my rules. I gave the rules. I know what I'm doing. I know how to apply what I said. And that's what Jesus is giving here as his final, final point with that. Now watch what happens. Jesus gives a very thorough answer. I mean, that's a really thorough answer about his disciples eating on the Sabbath. The condition called for it, caring for people called for it, and Jesus knows how to apply the law properly. Watch verse 9. And moving on from there, he entered their synagogue, and there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him... Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Man, I would have just been like, what did I just say? (laughs) I just went through this, man. (laughs) I just explained that. It is amazing that Jesus has given a very thorough answer as to why this is right and good. Jesus then walks into the synagogue. Here's a man with the withered hand. And notice Jesus doesn't ask it. They come up to him trying to accuse him and say, so then is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And I'd be like, please refer to you. Message just, just given. But Jesus is a compassionate teacher. And so notice what, what Jesus is able, able, to, do, able to, to do with this. He's going to give a, an example here in verse 11. But I would hope. That if we had been there in that audience, if we had been in that synagogue and we heard Jesus answer and then the Pharisees asked, oh, then can you heal this man with the withered hand? That we would be able to apply what Jesus just said to this situation. Jesus is greater than the temple and his work is greater than the Sabbath, just like those priests. Jesus has a work to do. He has come to restore people to God. He has come to show the healing that's available. And so being the greater temple means his work of healing absolutely supersedes the Sabbath. 
Or the next line that he gave, desiring mercy and not sacrifice means, don't you care for the man with the withered hand that something can be done? Don't you have a heart for him? Don't you care about his condition? You're going to be stuck on the Sabbath and not see that a healing and a need could be dealt right here. Don't you have a heart for people? Don't you care? And he's the giver of the Sabbath law. Verse 8, Lord of Sabbath. He knows the right application of the law. And obviously then healing is lawful. I would hope we would sit there before Jesus gave an answer and go, Ooh, I know the answer from what you just said. I, I got it. I got it. Yes, it's lawful. Yes, it is. But Jesus is going to give his example. Verse 11. He replied, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? This is an interesting question. I thought, you know, in our minds, we go, well, obviously. So I thought, well, do a little research. Did you know this was actually debated by the rabbis? If your animal fell into the pit, it wasn't quite certain if it was okay to pull them out because obviously pulling an animal out of a pit is lurk. So if your animal goes into the pit, is it okay to pull it out? And so the rabbis argued over that. And some said, yes, it's okay. And some said, no, it's not. But what you can do is feed it in the pit until the next day and then pull it out. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because if you were going to feed it, what were you going to do? Carry. Which that's why I showed you that screen earlier. Moving things and carrying things is a violation of the Sabbath. You cannot carry. You cannot move. You cannot even ride or flip light switches. You cannot do that. And, but they agreed, at least, that the animal's welfare in one way or another, was greater than the Sabbath law. Whether by pulling it out or feeding it, you had to do something. And Jesus is seizing on that in verse 12, and so, or in verse 11, or no, verse 12. A person is worth far more than sheep. Now it's 2022, so let me just go ahead and say, a person is worth far more than sheep. We've kind of lost that line, so let's put that line back. People are more valuable than animals. God says so. I know you love Fluffy, but people are more important than animals and have greater value. I know you love your animal. That's fine. Love your animal. It's okay. It's fine. But understand the value system. And that's what he says here. If it's okay to do that for an animal, clearly it is right to do good to people, even though it's the Sabbath. Clearly, that would be the case. There would be no way to be able to think that this would be something that would be unlawful or wrong. And yet notice in giving that answer, notice what happens in verse 13. Then Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and as it was and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. I want you to notice, actually, Jesus didn't do any work. Did you catch that? Jesus is, is, is smooth like that. He pulls his hand out and it's restored as he pulls it out. <laughs> I love that. 
is just restored. Boom, just, just like that. It's like, I didn't even do anything. Watch that. <laughs> you didn't even see me work because I can just think it and it'll happen. The power of God right here in this moment. But notice that you see verse 13. Notice they all don't go, oh, wow, this is amazing. Clearly you're the son of God. No, they're going to conspire on how to kill him instead. And so you have just a really important picture that is given to us that Jesus is trying to crystallize. God's law did not have the purpose of preventing people from doing good as God defines good. And loving God as God defines love and loving others as God defines love. The function of the law was not to prevent people from loving God and loving others. I hope we would go, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Obviously, the function of God's law was not to keep people from doing what they're supposed to do and doing what is right and loving God and loving one another. Clearly, that is not the intent of God's law. And that is what Jesus is trying to exemplify it was in these in these examples here. It was good that the priest gave David food. It's important to underscore that that was the right decision. The priest was right when David came and said, we're hungry. Do you have food here? And he goes under these circumstances. Yes. I'll let you have the bread of the, the presence and you can have that. That he was right in that. It was necessary and it was good for the priest to perform work in the temple on the Sabbath. It was fine, necessary and good for his disciples to pluck grain and eat on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees should have seen that as good. They should have understood, especially as this this account ends, that they would have such a love for God and love for people that they would have been overjoyed to see a man with a withered hand be healed. But instead they want to kill Jesus. This is the problem of knowing the rules and missing the whole thing. Well, they know the Sabbath law, but they've completely missed the function of it, the purpose of it, the intent of it. And rather than observing that a man can be healed on the Sabbath and be overjoyed by that and just worship God for that and love this man who can receive that, they're mad because you broke the Sabbath law. At least they think, obviously, Jesus didn't. Jesus proved that in three different ways, how he didn't break the Sabbath in the slightest. Some key messages I want to draw from this. Number one, none of God's laws are random. None of God's laws are random. And what I mean by this is God did not sit up in heaven before eternity and go, let me think of some crazy things and see if these people will do it. And I might just come up with some really off the wall things and if, I can't believe they did that. How about that? There's just no reason whatsoever. I just thought I would throw one out there. That's not what God does. There is not a single law that God gives that lacks purpose, that is nonsensical. Every rule and every law that he gives 
has reason and has purpose. And that's the problem is Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to understand. You can't just boil it down to the rules. Do you understand the purpose? Do you understand the meaning? Do you understand the intent? Do you understand the reason? Because that's very important to the explanation of what God is doing. In fact, so much so that Jesus twice says, if you understood this, You would not have condemned the innocent, which should be scary to us. Stripping God's purpose away from his laws can cause you to misapply it and condemn the wrong people. That's what just happened here. They condemned Jesus' disciples as breaking law. Jesus says they have done no such thing. They are guiltless. They are innocent. And if you had known God and known his ways and known who he is and known his purpose, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And this is something that you're going to see Jesus tried to crystallize over and over again through his ministry. It's something that we're going to see Jesus will say later on, but it's, a, it's an important one. Where Jesus will crystallize it all, and he's able to sum it up into two commands. The greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And then be able to say. All of the laws. Hang on those two things. Ever thought about that? Everything that God has ever said. Rests on those two purposes. Those two commands. So to state it like this. The purpose of God's commands has always been to curb sin and to promote loving God and loving others. That's the generic big idea of what God is doing with his laws. Curbing sin. Here's how to love God. And here's how to love people. And we can so easily misapply God's laws when we strip away those purposes. Let me apply that in a couple of ways before we get to our second one. That means all of God's laws have the purpose of curbing sin, promoting a loving of God and loving others. We have the tendency to want to look at God's laws and go, well, because I don't like it or I don't understand it, therefore I don't have to do it. I like to do that in my life with all kinds of rules and laws. If you've ever been out toward Loxahatchee and you're driving down Okeechobee and you get to go really fast, then all of a sudden you come to this long stretch that's 30 miles an hour. Are you kidding me? 30 miles an hour on Okeechobee Boulevard in the middle of nowhere? Who dreamed this up? It's like, it feels so random. It's just like, let's just see if people will drive really slow through here for no apparent reason. God's laws are not where you sit back and go, I don't have a clue. This just seems nonsensical and random. And why this is so important is, friends, because when God gives laws about worship, there's reason and purpose. 
When he gives laws about sexual sins, there are reasons and purpose. When he says what it means to be saved and how to be saved, there are reasons and purpose. When he says, this is what I want you to do to inherit eternal life and to obey me, there is reason and purpose. When he talks to us about emotions like anger and hatred and malice and self-control, these things are not random, but they are meaningful. They are intentional and they have purpose. Do not ever come to God's laws and just go, it's a bunch of rules. They're not. They're all intended to curb sin. And to promote a loving of God and a loving of others. Every single one of them. All of the law hangs on love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Please do not ever look at them and go, well, I just don't see that. That's just not important. That's just random. What does God really care if? Does it really matter if? What's the bait? Don't look at it like that. There's reason. And there's purpose. And we need to come to understand those reasons, which is my second point. We then need to seek to know God and to learn his purpose so that we can apply his laws and his rules properly. We should be startled by the idea that Jesus says, if you knew, if you knew knew who God was, you understood the character of God. If you understood what that scripture meant, how many times does Jesus walk around and say, have you not read? Friends, it's not like they hadn't read it. They had read it so much they had it memorized. What was the problem? Not that they hadn't read it. They didn't know what it meant. They just read it as a surface level and they missed the whole point. And when it came to the Sabbath, that is certainly true. The whole point of the Sabbath was not to keep people from working. That was not the intent. You go read it. That's not why he gave it. God just goes, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can make people not do stuff. The whole point of the Sabbath was about worship, about remembering the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt by a mighty hand. It was a time to stop and reflect on God. It wasn't to say, well, I can't pick something up off of my chair. That wasn't the intent of it. It wasn't to say, well, don't pick up an animal out of the pit. It was so that you would understand that God is your everything and that day would be fully devoted to it. But they missed that. Completely missed the point and turned it into condemning people eating heads of grain, condemning people who would be healed on the Sabbath. How do you get to that point? Except you don't know God and don't understand the purpose of his rules. I don't have time, but friends, there are, can I use this word gazillions? Gazillions of examples of this in scripture. Gazillions of of, of these kinds of ideas where the Hebrew midwives lie about the baby boys as the command is given by the Egyptians. If a boy is born, you kill them and throw them in the Nile. And when they come to them, they say, why aren't you doing what we said? Well, you know, these Hebrew midwives, man, they just kids come out. We're not even there in time to do something about it. And the text says God blessed them for doing that. Well, wait a minute. I thought lying was a sin. Well, you're not understanding the purpose of God, then are you? 
You're missing the purpose. The point was not, well, be sure to tell the truth and kill all these boys. You're missing the big idea. Same thing with Rahab. She's written in Hebrews 11. She absolutely deceives the people about where the spies are and where the spies went and what they're doing. And she just railroads them all over the place. And she's praised. Why? Because she understood the intent. The priest is not condemned in David's circumstance. I'm going to use one modern example. Again, lack of time, but one modern example. This one often will come up. Scriptures say do not murder. So how can there be capital punishment? You see the idea of how you can read a rule and miss the intent. Was God's purpose in that to say, therefore, governments are not allowed to execute evildoers. That's not the intent of that law. And we can prove it. You go to Romans 13, where Paul makes that astoundingly clear. And he hasn't come along and go, I don't know what to do with that command and how to figure that out. When we understand God's purpose, when we understand what he's saying, that changes everything. It informs us how to apply God's laws properly. So let me end then with this two key ideas. One, friends, God is not a bunch of rules. And if you've grown up with that point of view, or that's the way you look at God, or the way you've had your view of him, or that's what religion taught you, or when you were in the pews and your parents took you to church and, and that was your view of God, and you know, it's just God and a bunch of rules. That is not who he is. And Jesus clearly expresses that here. It's not about just here's some random crazy rules. Let's see if you do it. Hope you make it. Good luck to you. That's not what he's doing. God is not a bunch of rules. And friends, please do not boil him down to that. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want just a bunch of rules kept. You're a good parent, right? Do you want a relationship with your children? Or you just want them to keep a bunch of rules. Who cares what they think of me? Just, you know, make sure you take out the trash. No. I want relationship. So what are the rules all are, are about? To propel you to do what's right. That's why the rules are in place. That's why good parents give good rules. Because it's about propelling us to love God and to love others. And so friends, what I want us to do with this message is that in every command that we would think about God's intent. We're going to sing a song and we don't sing a song because God just says sing. How is our singing propelling us to love God and love others? We don't just pray because God says you have to pray. But how is our prayer going to propel us to love God and love others? God says flee sexual immorality so that it would curb sin and propel us to love God and love others. It's not just a bunch of don'ts. But it's a way to draw you closer to God. Repentance from sin is the same thing. How is this propelling me to come closer to God? Be what God wants me to be.
Baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not just random things. But propels us toward God. To love him and to serve him. All these things have been given to us to promote love and to curb sin. Something greater has come. And we see it in Jesus who reveals the father to us. So that we can be his people. And that we can live in a way that glorifies him. Know the rules. But know God. So that you can follow and apply the rules. In a way that shows a love for him. And a love for others. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord thank you for your word. And how you show us who you are. And teach us who you are. We thank you Lord. For doing that and Lord thank you for not just being a God who simply cares about a bunch of rules but that you love us and desire a relationship with us and Lord I pray that we would see your purpose in all that you have given us to do Lord help us to see that these laws and commands are not mindless and foolish but in each one reveals your wisdom reveals your love and reveals your glory Lord I pray that your word would propel us every day to love you more and to love others more, to be the people that you want us to be. And Lord, we pray that your word would curb sin on our lives. Lord, help us in the fight against temptation. Help us fight against Satan because so often, Lord, we are weak and we need your help and we need your strength. We need your armor on us, Lord. So please give us the strength we need so that we can use your word and apply your law so that we could be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we pray for forgiveness. We forgive us for the times that we have misunderstood your laws, we've misapplied your laws, or chosen not to obey your laws. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of what you've given to us, that your laws truly are like honey, because they are not random, but that they are for our very good, that they are for life and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sing an invitation song.